Tuesday, November 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker, and from Motley Fool Options and Pro Canada, the man from the Great White North himself, Jim Gillies. Greetings and salutations. Good to see you. Thanks for once again braving border security. It was a very <laughs> simple process today. I'm not sure they were awake. Wow. <laughs> we let you in our country and already you're taking shots at I, our border security? Well, you know, they were, they were very nice. He kind of grunted at me, looked at my passport, and said, kept going. All right. Usually I expect a little more scrutiny, a little more pain. See, I can see that, though. I can see that. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't paying attention. Did you introduce me? I did just introduce you, Jim. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going going back to not paying attention. That's probably just as well. Um, it is earnings season, but that doesn't mean that the news fairy isn't still hard at work. So we're going to get to a couple of newspaper stocks that are going in opposite directions. But let's start with, in honor of Jim Gillies, <laughs> as though this were timed, Valiant Pharmaceuticals, once upon a time the largest public company in Canada. <laughs> Which, as you pointed out on a previous episode of Market Foolery, that's kind of the the. As soon as you hear that, that's the death knell <laughs> yep. for any public company in Canada. When you get that's that, not a bank. That's not a bank. Yeah. If you're the number one, you're the biggest public company. It's time to short that yeah. stock. Titles previously held by Nortel, Research and Motion, and Briex. <laughs> and who is it now? It's back to being Royal Bank of Canada. Uh, Valiant Pharmaceuticals. Former CEO Michael Pearson and former CFO Howard Schiller are the subjects not of uh, a soon-to-be-released biopic film. No, they're the subjects of a U.S. criminal probe, mm-hmm. and uh, proving once again that the market, the market's reaction, may be the the best indicator of how to view this news. Uh, shares of Valiant up a little bit on this. They were down a lot more yesterday when this news started filtering out. Where is this company going? Is this company in any legitimate danger of just sort of going away altogether, or is there? Or when you look at this company, do you think there is value here that they need an entirely fresh start, if at all possible, and there is a way forward for this company? That's a lot of questions, and it's a big question, and it's a company that I have, frankly, not had the greatest love for. So I'm kind of tainting myself here when I say, you know, I've I've never liked the company, never never got the story, watched with dismay as it was a multi bagger before, of course, crashing now ninety percent. Um, I think their debt load, they've got thirty odd billion dollars in debt. That is going to necessitate the company is going to need to change. And I think they're currently trying to figure out ways. The the new CEO who came over from uh, I think it's Joseph Papa from Perigo or somewhere, and another company. He's trying to you know revamp the company. Bill Ackman, the activist investor who was now former CEO, disgraced CEO Mike Pearson's uh, bestest buddy for a while there before forgetting his name. Um, you know they, you know they're they're trying to right the ship, and it is. I don't think the Valiant in its present form can survive. I think it's another case of a lesson of when, when you are trying to gain the system where the party on the other side of the transactions that you are affecting is uh, a large, powerful entity called United States government. Because in a lot of cases, this was basically they were jacking the prices on the drugs, and the ultimate payer is the government who has pushed back. And I think for other examples of that particular phenomenon, you could look at the for-profit educators, which have largely been run out of business or otherwise decimated. Uh, I think that you know when you get into that situation, you probably should 
expect the government to push back, push back hard. And if you have been doing things of a quasi-legal nature, which is certainly the suggestion of what's going on now with Valiant, you should probably expect the type of probes that Mr. Pearson and Mr. Schiller are currently experiencing. Thank you for reminding me that uh, Bill Ackman is still involved in Valiant Pharmaceuticals. He's on the board. Because as a Chipotle shareholder, I was I was worried that he was going to be spending a lot of time trying to fix ex- Chipotle, exert influence <laughs> at Chipotle. So it's nice to know that he has other fires he's trying to put out. Uh, Bill Parker, what about you? When you look at Valiant Pharmaceuticals, is there anything? I mean, this is for for those unfamiliar. This is an untraditional pharmaceutical company in that. Uh, typically, pharmaceutical companies are plowing a lot of money into research, looking for that next blockbuster drug. And Valiant's path to growth was almost entirely through acquisition. Um, so I'm just curious what you see when you look at Valiant. I am just reminded of the uh, Oscar-nominated song from um, South Park, "Blame Canada." <laughs> Blame- <laughs> It was an Oscar nominee. It was. Yeah. That's about as much as I have on this one. <laughs> I, I, I think you that cannot blame Canada for this. This was an inversion of I an can American blame company. <laughs> have you met him? Of course, yeah, that's true. I can yes. blame Canada. You're just dodging it. <laughs> After promoting this company all those years, like you and every other Canadian, and now it's going to take the good and hard work of U.S. Uh, regulators and criminal prosecutors to bring uh, one of the many Canadian criminals to justice. Uh, If only we had enough time to get the rest of them, is my feeling. But we're busy with uh, our own law enforcement looking into thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of emails, so we really don't have time. Right. And, you know, the, there's only so much our legal system can do. <laughs> We're busy investigating not one but two major. Can I refuse myself candidate. from talking about American elections? Uh, before, before, no, no, no. You won't get out of that. Before we leave uh, Canada altogether, um, talk to me about C-SPAN, not the cable network, but C S E A C-SPAN. Uh, the shipping company, because we, shipping company, we yes. were we were chatting briefly this morning. Um, this is a company that I, I'm almost entirely unfamiliar with, but uh, it's it's a company that has certainly been on your radar. And I'm curious, where is it right now, and what is the backstory on the CEO? So leaving? it wasn't the CEO. It oh, was, okay. uh, but C-SPAN. Uh, it's uh, SSW on the New York Stock Exchange. It's largely domiciled in Vancouver, Canada, but it's incorporated in the Marshall Islands because, of course, it is. Um, Where are the Marshall Islands? Somewhere in the Pacific, I think. Okay. Um, it basically they own, you know, container ships. You see the pictures of these giant container ships with thousands of containers on them. They own the ships and they're they lease them out and they operate them for the big shipping companies. And so they reported earnings last night and they have been um, struggling because the industry as a whole is is overbuilt. There's too many ships. There's too much tonnage of the ships that are on on the sea. And so what that's done is it's kind of knocked down the value of uh, the ships that are coming out of the shipyards. You know, it used to come off, uh, you know, come off the line, and you know, they'd be the, the minute they hit the water, they're paired up with a 12-year contract where you have to get 12 years of revenue, already known, already guaranteed. The problem is, you know, lots of ships, lots of floating tonnage. You still got the trend of moving everything from the production centers of the world, Asia, to the consumption center of the world, North America, Europe. But there's so many ships, and they've gotten so large that the value of, of the, the tonnage has gone down, or the value of, value of shipping. So 
they are struggling now. They're about 50% insider-owned. There's some quasi-strange deals that go on in the industry with the insiders. You're never quite sure. It's nice to see them insiders owning 50%, but you're not entirely sure they're aligned with you. You know, the CEO, you know, he's got a job to run the, the, the business, but he's also got a job to, he gets, he gets finder's fees when the company puts a new ship on the water. So maybe they shouldn't be putting a new ship on the water because of the aforementioned overbuilding of the industry. But you know, if he gets one percent, but if whatever, he's got a financial incentive he's got to get stake, ships on the water, you know, guess what? Get the incentives right. <laughs> but you know, C-SPAN, uh, you know, tied to uh, tied to a little bit, I guess, to Valiant with the, their executive departures. The the most fun executive departure I've ever seen. Uh, what and I say fun, maybe perhaps in air quotes, uh, was with C-SPAN and their now former CFO who departed almost a year ago. And this was basically a press release that was like hit the wires Monday morning, kind of 7 a.m., backdated to Friday afternoon, 5.30 p.m., announcing the sudden retirement of the CFO as of Friday. He was 48 years old. Now, that doesn't smell at all, right? You know, he's gone off to run as equestrian farm or something like that. But it's like, oh, hang on, a 48-year-old man who has been doing really, really well in this company, well thought of, well spoken. I mean, it suddenly retires out of the blue and they backdate it. That just kind of, uh, you kind of wonder, well, this is a business that always needs financing. Financing is kind of important to have a well-respected, well thought of CFO. Did he walk the plank? Was he tossed overboard? Did he leave of his own volition because he saw something bad happening? We've never gotten any answers. But it's just to me, he's always been very a very odd departure. Is that even legal? It's like, if you're a public company, can you backdate a press release on an executive departure? That that's, yep. that's he's re- he's retired. <laughs> uh, I mentioned a couple of newspaper stocks that are going in opposite directions. Gannett has dropped its bid to buy Tronk, the public company that is the parent of the Chicago Tribune, the L.A. Times, and also has the distinction of having what I like to consider <laughs> the dumbest name in the public markets. Um, Gannett shares up 8% on this news, and Trunk shares down 20%. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that the hubris of Trunk's executives is pretty breathtaking, that this is a stock that is now trading in the single digits, and it wasn't that long. It was just, I don't know, earlier this year that they turned their nose up at a, at a buyout offer of of fifteen dollars a share, and I know that this isn't. I mean, Gannett's. It's it, based on the reporting. It appears that Gannett's hand was forced somewhat because they couldn't get the financing. The banks wouldn't play ball. Are the bankers the heroes here? Because that's what it seems <laughs> like. Uh, is is actually this seems like the bankers, who you know we we talk about incentives. They've got an incentive to to get M and A deals done, mm-hmm. but it seems like in this case they stepped forward and said, you know what. Even though we stand to make some money, this is a really bad idea, and we're not going to finance it. Well, they would only say that if they didn't think they were ever going to see their money back. Mm-hmm. Which, given the state of uh, publishing in the newspaper uh, industry, is is a fair thing to worry about. And I don't think that if you're going to take the properties that uh, Tronk has uh, and fold them into Gannett, and then you have to evaluate everything from how does the traditional media landscape look. And so, with Tronk, 
previously the Tribune company or Tribune, um, they were split off. So uh, it's mostly the the brand names of the LA Times and the Chicago Tribune. And you fold that into Gannett, and Gannett has some opportunities for scaling costs and and some efficiencies, and and that makes sense. Tronk is, and their uh, executive, who's hubris, you've referred to um, Farrow, uh, Mike Farrow. Mike Farrow has been uh, compared to Trump in in terms <laughs> of hubris and and style and sexism. Um, and I mean, this is just from the New York Times Dealbook story, which immediately sort of takes that uh, approach um, in in characterizing him. So uh, I think that he is just looking to do his own thing. He's got a vision, and it's going to be artificial intelligence generated stories and and you know we've we've moved this to trunk to establish that we're not part of the traditional landscape but that we're new and forward thinking and we'll see how it goes uh, but I don't think that he has put his shareholders ahead of his own interests here I was just gonna say if he's being if 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 the New York Times deal book, which is, by the way, that's one more Twitter account to follow if you're interested in business. Uh, the deal book section of the New York Times, they do a great job. Uh, if they're comparing him to Trump, here's one more way it looks like, <laughs> one more point of comparison they may have in the not too distant future is running a, a public company into bankruptcy. Which Donald Trump did at least once, I think maybe more than once, and that's that's, that's the only thing he's ever done with public companies <laughs> is run them into bankruptcy. Is run them into bankruptcy, and that's what that's what. I mean, I, I don't see how this. Pharaoh's got a better record, by the way, in <laughs> terms he? of his investments. He is not yet in bankruptcy, is what you're saying. Uh, he he has done. He's he's a better businessman than Trump. But which is I, which is not saying much, right? I mean, it, it's it is not to go off on a, you know, political tangent, but well, stick Trump's, to business. Trump, yeah, Trump doesn't have a particularly successful record in terms of capital allocation. There's no actual argument about that uh, in terms of uh, his his published record. That's he's run. You know, the uh, Trump uh, Entertainment Resorts managed to lose about 1.5 billion dollars. And That's hard to do with a casino. <laughs> it's hard to do. And and Pharaoh's got a better better record than that, but you know, virtually everybody else does too. Yeah, I just don't see this getting any better for Trunk, and that's that's where I just sort of look Trunk, at th- not Trump. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, that, that's where I look at this, and I just think if this if this guy actually did have shareholders in mind, he would look. To partner up, whether it's with Gannett or someone else, there—I mean, there are valuable properties in there, or certainly there is some value there. Certainly, with the in two of the biggest media markets in the country, with the Chicago Tribune and the LA Times. So I don't—I don't—I don't know. I don't know. I obviously part of it, and longtime listeners know this. Part of this for me is just uh, my utter disdain for the name Trunk. Because Tribune Publishing was a name that used to mean something, and they took that and decided, oh, we're going to consultant speak this to death and come up with a, an absolutely horrible new name. Um, before we get to our final story, I want to just say a quick word of thanks to uh, all of the listeners who uh, dropped me an email or posted something on Twitter or on Facebook about the Marine Corps Marathon. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate the support. Uh, it was it was quite an experience. And it was my first marathon, 
And uh, Matt, I was trading messages with Matt Kopenheffer, our colleague who's over in Germany. Matt Kopenheffer, who uh, can knock out a, a marathon in less than three hours with plenty of time to spare. Matt Kopenheffer, who ran a 100-mile race in Georgia, and when it was over, I asked him, what was the worst moment for you? What was the moment where you thought, I've, I've really made a terrible mistake? And he said, mile 17. And it says something about Matt and the way his brain works that he just kept going. It wasn't like, oh, I've only got a few more miles. This is terrible. But I, No, he had 83 more miles, and he kept going. <laughs> he did the whole thing. All right, so what was the worst moment for you? Uh, the, uh, there were several. Um, <laughs> I just want to know about the worst. <laughs> the worst. The worst was mile 16, because I was the See, that's See? the death mile, there you go. For really regardless 16, of how 17. far you're running. Apparently. Um, uh, mile 16, uh, I, the first half of the race went really well, and then um, it was... Actually, right after I saw, I was our, I was following it live for a little while. I got your right, first split. They yeah. the app. Yeah, uh, I, it was right after I saw our friend uh, Bill Mann. He was on the mall. His wife was running the race, and I saw uh, the curse of Bill Mann. The cur- <laughs> it wasn't the curse of Bill Mann. I was starting to slow down a little bit, and it was starting to get pretty warm. And about a half. Did he taunt you? Did he no, see you? Yeah. No, he gave no? me a high five, okay. lots of encouragement. Despite that, you were sucked out of energy immediately. Exactly. And um, and then my right leg just seized up in pain. I just started to cramp up. And I haven't run a marathon. Is that a, a particularly important leg? <laughs> it's one of the two most important legs if okay. you're running a marathon. And uh, and and then it was. And then I, I sort of viewed it as my right leg saying, "Are we done?" Because if you're not going to walk, I, I'm going to make you walk. And then my left leg sort of joined the fun, and so both legs were cramping up. And I thought, okay, now what? Because now I'm ten miles hands. from the finish line. You still got your hands. You still got hands. You yeah. got arms. I, I People did, do that kind of thing, don't they? Th- there was a there was a guy who who was juggling the entire marathon, because this was the day before Halloween. There were people in costume, which is fine because some of them were sort of. Um, T-shirt and shorts costume, as opposed to the man I saw running in a Chewbacca costume, like a full-blown, he's a greeter at Disneyland costume. He he's must, dead now. He, he might be. He must have lost twenty pounds wearing that. Thing. All right. So the only thing I really know about this is that you came in just under five hours. Just under five hours. I hit the twenty-six mile mark. At, I looked at my watch and it was four fifty-seven. I have two tenths of a mile to go, and it is. Uh, the very end of the race is uphill. It's a pretty steep incline. That's mean. Le- it is. Well, you know, it's you know, it's the Marine Corps. It's the Marines, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it leads you right to the Iwo Jima Memorial. And so I was. Uh, that that was one of those times where I just uh, I was fueled by anger and bitterness because <laughs> I was having a good race, and then my legs gave out on me, and I thought, you know what. I got three minutes to go two tenths of a mile. I'm going to get this done. I'm beating five mi- five hours. Beating five hours. Legs be damned. You knew what you had to do, right? And you did it. And I and boy did I pay the price when it was over because I crossed the finish line, and very shortly thereafter fell down. And uh, but fortunately there are a lot of Marines who are young and healthy, and they helped me back up. And uh, and I spent some quality time in the medical tent, and that was great. So I'm assuming that for your next marathon. <laughs> Four hours is going to be your your uh, your goal. I wouldn't assume that there's a next marathon. Not not <laughs> not, not this week. Not when uh, not when I'm taking the elevator between one flight of uh, you know between the fifth floor and the fourth floor of our building because stairs are just absolutely brutal. So um, 
two, two quick things before I wrap up on the marathon. Uh, the, 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 I, I totally understand, because this is something Copenhagen asked me. He said, was, was the marathon what you expected? And I said, I thought about it. I was like, no, it really wasn't. Um, it was both worse and better than I expected. The worst part was I really didn't think – I figured my legs would give out at some point. I thought that would be somewhere in the 20s. I didn't think it would be at mile 16. Um, but it was better than I thought it was going to be uh, – that I thought it was going to be because the crowds were amazing. I totally – a couple of people emailed – a couple of listeners emailed me beforehand saying, I've run marathons before. I'm jealous that you're running Marine Corps because I've never done it, and it's supposed to be one of the best. And, the, like, people come out with signs and – it's it's really pretty amazing. So thank you. Uh, final story, because this is for all intents and purposes a business news show. Shares of L Brands are down eight percent this morning. This is the parent company of Victoria's Secret, Pink, uh, Bath and Body Works, and other brands. Uh, the company said third quarter earnings are going to come in at the bottom of the range that they had previously guided for. Uh, so that's never anything that. Wall Street likes to hear. Uh, uh, although it does look, when in terms of expected same store sales for October, it looks like Bath and Body Works is at least doing pretty well. Yeah, and we've talked about this and uh, the people thinking of L Brands as being all Victoria's Secret, and it's certainly the, the biggest component. It's about twice the size of, of Bath and Body Works in terms of sales, but not nearly twice the size in terms of operating profit. So Bath and Body Works is uh, doing well, doing six uh, percent comps for the month. I think, and the reason they got this news out today was they've got an investor day. So if you're really interested in L Brands, uh, then uh, I think at twelve thirty. Uh, they've got a live uh, online uh, investor day presentation, and that'll that'll go into more depth than what they went into in their press release. Uh, but uh, whereas Victoria's Secret down one percent for the month in terms of comps, uh, Bath and Body Works up six percent, and we've talked about you know just how fascinating the the candle selection is at, at Bath and <laughs> Bath and Body Works and um, I hadn't really appreciated it until looking at the site today as to just how many choices there are and how obscure uh, some of them are to to my mind it is an interesting strategy because we've talked plenty of times about businesses that have you and I well, just, we haven't talked about businesses that much. Not that much. Not there, that much. There's a lot of apropos of nothing when we, you and I talk. But there are a lot. But of, with your other guy, with Jim, for instance, with Jim, with actual working analysts, um, we've talked about businesses that have um, looked to pare down. I mean, Procter and Gamble leaps to mind in terms of a business with a ton of brands that has actively shed many of those brands over the last few years. There are also other businesses. That uh, Costco uh, that just decide we're going to limit our selection. We it's better for our business if we just limit selection, and we're not going to try to be all things to all people, and we're only going to have one or two types of brands of ketchup or you know whatever. In the case of Bath and Body Works, it's worth spending a couple minutes on their website and just going to the candle section because they are at the other end of the spectrum. They are saying, you know what? We will be all things to all people. What scent are you? What, what variation 
of a vanilla scent are you interested in? We've got something for you. Well, and even beyond the things that you can process, like, oh, that's a combination of uh, vanilla and chocolate and or, you know, uh, salted caramel. Okay, I think I know what that smells like. Uh, but they've also got things like fresh sparkling snow, which I don't know if you can convey whatever that smell is, particularly in flame okay, form. By burning. Right? <laughs> it seems like melted water would right. be... Uh, or sweater weather. That's my favorite. Sweater weather. And and so what I'm going to recommend to them is to add, um, uh, because a lot of these are sort of uh, Christmassy, um, you know, capturing the, yeah. you know, the, the ecumenical aspects of, of Christmas and, and all the forms that it takes and all of the, the smells that it takes, but also Thanksgiving. What I'd like is um, decorative gourd season. Uh, as as a candle nice. scent, I thought you were going to suggest and because I've, it is decorative gourd season. It is decorative gourd season. That is that is absolutely true. Um, I thought you were going to suggest a uh, in in honor of market foolery a candle uh, scent apropos of nothing. Because I think apropos of nothing is kind of like uh, fresh sparkling snow. I, I imagine it has the exact same scent. I thought you were going to say tang. I was once <laughs> tang, yeah, that could be tang a, candle. I was once promoting the idea that Ben and Jerry's should have um, mintly fool flavor. That could work. It's something that's sort of a tie-in for our brand. Um, I think all three of us on our respective. How about maple cinnamon pancakes? I'm, who doesn't like that? It's an actual Would candle. You ever, yeah, that's an actual candle. An actual candle on the site, right? Here. Well, I've made cinnamon cinnamon pancakes, and I've been now, now you're thinking like, little, hmm, that's not bad. How about flannel? <laughs> <laughs> flannel isn't a scent. People at Bath and Body Works, is it? Is flannel a scent? Well, it has it's lost a your texture. sheets for a while, I suppose. But. In as much as sweater weather is a scent, <laughs> I suppose it is. I, here's, here's what I'm confused by. Uh, again, I think all three of us are looking at the same, <laughs> yeah, the same thing. Um, are you going to post have, this? Because I think people should take a uh, little yeah, I'm time. Gonna post, with this. I'm going to put this out on the what Twitter about feed. Black tie. <laughs> what about the fact that they have not one, not two, but three candles entitled mahogany teakwood? These are three wick candles. Okay, so and they are at three different price points. Do you want the twenty-two fifty, twenty-four fifty, or the twenty-six fifty mahogany teakwood? candle well i mean it's not entirely the same because one of them is mahogany teakwood high intensity right and that is to be not to be confused with just mahogany teakwood you know what i like you come over for a date and somebody says i'm going to bring out the mahogany teakwood high intensity candles and then they they just light the mahogany teakwood ones the whole mood is shot yeah don't pull that men out there yeah you know what i like about this i like to think that what happened was they're in the room. Dating tips they're, today. <laughs> dating tips. Uh, I like to think they're in the room and they're trying to figure out what, what what else can we do. And someone starts talking derisively or derisively, however you choose to uh, pronounce it, um, about Doritos and saying, you know, Doritos, uh, those punks over there, they get to throw in like bold new, like they get to throw in intensity and boldness. And and we've we've made this even spicier. What are we gonna do? And that's where they're like, you know what? And that's where mahogany teakwood comes in. That's where high intensity comes uh, in. Okay, because you can roll out high intensity like sweater weather, or high intensity sweater sweater weather. <laughs> How about pure white cotton? What does that smell like? 
We're going to need. <laughs> By the way, you know what I just realized? Maybe you light these things and there just is no smell. It's just like, oh, it's. I get it. It's just a candle. It's just a candle. <laughs> just... I just realized uh, as I scrolled to the bottom of this page, um, and and this is a page with forty eight candles and forty eight different scents. And then there are two more pages. And there are two. And I just realized this is showing items one through forty eight of hundred thirty four. They have hundred thirty four of these things. Well, you get to the bottom and it, you get past the actual flavors and scents, and it, it gives you like candle holders. Okay. Uh, the mini ceramic witch is now uh, half price, of course. That being a bit of a Halloween holder I th- thing, you know, I think. So you know what I th- today's the day to rush out and get that for half off. Okay. You know what we're gonna do? Um, I'm, I'm putting both of you on the spot, and by that I mean I'm, I'm dragooning you into service here. You know how uh, to you? Do you have that authority? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this room, I do. Only in this room. So uh, I think it's Lay's potato chips. Uh, they've done flavor competitions uh, in the past, and they've had average people submit different flavors, and then they pick finalists, and they have four finalists, and they say, "Okay, vote for." You know, sales are going to determine the winner of this new flavor. I think uh, what I'm going to do, and and if they actually respond, I'm going to I'm going to uh, this is where I'm going to dragoon the two of you into service. I'm going to write to the Bath and Body Works people. I'm going to say we have our own set of ideas for more candle scents. How do we make this work? We we want we want this right. We want this. We want our own candle scent. We want to be able to point to something and say, yeah, that's us. We came up with that scent because honestly, the three of us and uh, the collective wisdom of our dozens of listeners, we can come. They're clearly out of ideas. They've got three different <laughs> mahogany teakwood candles. I, I was to say, the three of us, the dozens of listeners, and a good bottle of Jim Beam or two. Yeah, I'm telling and, you. Okay. Do you you cross promote um, with McSweeney's on decorative gourd season? You can move that. You, you can yeah, move that product. We can make this. We can make this work. And for those that don't know what I'm referring to, go to McSweeney's. Uh, you know what? I'm going to tweet both those things out. McSweeney's, the 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 fabulous um, website that has humorous essays among other things, and one of the all time classics is, and this is a partial title, uh, is entitled "It's Decorative Gourd Season." That's only a partial title. And you'll, when, when I tweet it out, you'll understand why I didn't include the full title. Um, but you'll, but you'll, if you're not already aware of it, you'll thank Chris for giving you the you'll, you'll thank us later. <laughs> if, and you've got you know, an R-rated sense of, of humor. Yeah, this is, this is yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, I think we're done here. It, R, for, R for language, not violence. Right, yeah. Nobody's still listening, are they? <laughs> All right. Jim Gillies, Phil Barker, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.